Oh, thank you, Craig Bot. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, Steve, for joining me. How are y'all doing? Doing well. Yes. Same. As well as can be expected, as we have been traversing Vicious Galaxy and it turns out part of the GameWorks headquarters also. Um, I was blown away by this part. I had a lot of difficulty with this part, just like gameplay wise. And I think also I'm not following the story very well anymore either. So uh, what were y'all's impressions of Lazarus's portion of the hex here? Yeah, it is It is definitely mean. Um, like only the most sort of directly challenging um, on a couple of levels, like that that opening with the, the turrets and you're shooting all the aliens is pretty lightning fast, and then you've got you've to gotta really be on your A game for walking through the halls and getting them before they get you. Um, mm -hmm. And then you get through all, and then they throw the, all that puzzling at you, like you got to compress and decompress and sneak under walls and it's yeah right. there's a lot going on and you gotta have your have your head on straight and then to top it all off bam sato like come on just uh i died a lot against sato i died a lot on the elevator mm, oh, yeah. wow. the elevator like wrecked me for a, a long period of time did you have any trouble with this steve or am i just bad at games Oh uh, no, I struggled a, a little bit. Um, like you said, in the elevator, um, Sado. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other places. Not really. I mean, it's kind of easy because if you die, you respawn like right away. Yeah, they're real um, quick about that. Yeah, yeah. There were there were a couple of the hallways. Now that I'm like thinking back to it, that it took me five or six tries to get through. Um, yeah. And we're fighting those aliens who had infiltrated uh, Wasteworld back in mm -hmm. the previous chapter. Um, they're definitely the same people. There's, I, I found very few secrets this time, too, and so it's difficult in that way as well. But one thing mm -hmm. I did find was an alien corpse that had a um, you know, mind control doohickey stuck into it, right. um, like a skeleton. Uh, and I think Lazarus at that point says something about Jeremiah has gone too far or, or something like that. Um, yeah. Confused me because I thought Jeremiah was on our team and we had just like got to the alien planet. So how could Jeremiah be responsible for that? Like, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't really tracking what was happening in that. Did you, did y'all have a sense of what's going on there? Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on and it is sort of telegraphing some of it. Um, but, you know, between the mind control devices and the fact that, like, when you finally rejoin Jeremiah after getting, you know, chucked into the basement, uh, you see that he's just, like, wrecked the place, just destroyed yeah. people. Um, like, this entire section is really violent. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't beat around the bush about it either. You know, we, we talked a little bit last time about how, you know, it, it, it's inappropriate to shoot the Groombas. Um, and Rust, like, the only way that he can get through the whole Super or super Weasel Kid section is to shoot the Groombas. And now, you know, there are just corpses everywhere, and the game does not pull punches as far as, like, the sort of devastation that you wreak. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some real cold moments, too. Like, you know, your friend Jay, who is there to help you out and teaches you how to do the sniper rifle but doesn't seem to have much of a stomach for combat... 
Like he finally admits, you know, I, I didn't shoot anyone. I, I don't think I'm ready for this. And <clears throat> Junior, the Moogle guy, just out and out blasts him away with the shotgun. No, no question. Like, and Jeremiah seems to be on board with this. This was always the plan if somebody wasn't up for it. Like, it's just, it's rough. Yeah. Um, and I think that's intentional. Like, both the difficulty and just the, the sort of thematic weightiness. Um, it's, it's very much trying to capture, you know, the, the feeling of like those modern warfare shooters, the, you know, mm-hmm. dating back to Call of Duty, modern warfare. Obviously there are some like Halo references in so far as, you know, it's a, it's a space Marines do hard right. space Marine stuff. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's sort of drawing attention to the stuff that we take for granted about those games, the the violence, the sort of gritty, like over the top um, goriness, and and you know the dark hardcore um, qualities there, like only here it it's very much out of place. Like we just saw, you know, Rust in his post apocalyptic world with his sunny attitude just literally descend into madness. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been primed by this game to feel compassion for all these characters. Um, and instead what we get is, you know, this inability to empathize. Like the game keeps pushing us away and we even get like a character that just embodies that in the, the Moogle kid. Like he's, <laughs> he's the one whose dad we killed and this is what we made him into. He's just covered in tattoos and you know, like the RIP under his eye. And, you know, he's the, he's the one who does the dirty jobs. He's the one who blows Jay away. He's the one who, you know, when you discover all the aliens that have surrendered, he's the one who's like, you know, or will go ahead and shoot him. And if you don't, he does it himself and then calls you a pussy. Like, I didn't like that part very much. No, that meant that made me feel like the most uncomfortable of anything so far in the game. I think. Yeah. And it's meant to, like, um, I, I think, you know, Daniel Mullins is very much pointing, like, this entire time he's been pointing to the sort of gamer community here and there throughout, like, between the, the comments in Super Weasel Kid, um, the the people commenting in uh, Secrets of Legendaria, like, the people ruining the game by spoiling the secrets. Um, you know, now we've got the other side of it. Like we've got the toxic player base embodied in this Moogle kid who, you know, just revels in violence with no mercy or sympathy or compassion. And then if you don't work at their level, then you're a wimp, then you are not a man, then you are, you know, subpar, um, get good or get out. Um, (laughs) like it's really just it's bitterly mean, um, just mean spirited and like horrible, especially when you recontextualize that. And the fact that like, these are the NPCs at GameWorks. They're not just, you know, rando aliens generated for like kill value. Those are all NPCs with lives as we've seen right. so far. Right. And, and this is weird because it's sort of spins around and makes, um, Irving, like the sympathetic character here, uh, right? Because we we encounter him at a certain point, and he uh, is appalled that we we the player, right? He like faces up to us yeah. out of the screen and says, "Hey, you! Like, 
you got tricked. You've gone along and helped these people. Like, how dare you? Um, so that was interesting. His his return uh, in that moment, um, and just the kind of as you say, I was looking all along to see like, okay, so what's the reference here to like gamer culture? There's no like um, obvious comments scrolling across the screen. There's no obvious uh, hacks and things happening like that. Um, but no, it's the it's the developers and the players themselves this time. It seems like um, mm -hmm. that are are culpable, right, for making this a, a horrible experience for everyone. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, do you think Mullins goes a little far with it? Is it a little bit too much? Or do you feel like he gives us an appropriate amount of awfulness in this chapter? I mean, it is tough, I admit, but I think, you know, it's, it's I feel like he is justified, at the very least, to call it out, to question it. Yeah. Um, like I had a, I had a student today, like literally today I was sitting down in my class and like, he was the only one there as early as I had arrived. He was asking me about, um, cyberpunk 2077, like the hot new game oh, yeah. coming from, from CD project red, the guys who made the Witcher series. Um, and I sort of cautiously mentioned that, yeah, I'm, I'm eager to see that it come out. Like I know that it's been pushed back a bunch of times. Um, and he was eager as well. Like he was really disappointed that it had been pushed back from the original August release date, but you know, COVID, what are you going to do? Um, yeah. but it's increasingly come out that CD project red has always had a sort of troubled reputation. Um, insofar as like they do really good work, but they also treat their employees like crap. Um, lots of hard crunch time. It's like a flash to like, you're suddenly yeah, I think it's that simple. I think you're yeah. like you're you're marching through the hallways of what you think are this alien fortress. Like you have the you you land, you have your your shoot 'em up helicopter scene, like from every shooter ever. Um, you do your little mission, one with you know Moogle Kid uh, Junior, one with Jay with the sniper rifle. You wander around the halls a little bit, advancing through the facility. You finally meet. Um, you know, the alien leader, like the three aliens standing behind the desk. And that's right. when Irvine, like, stresses, you know, or that's when he addresses the player and everything sort of flashes and shifts. And now you're sitting in the game works headquarters and, like, the bodies of the, like, Moogly guard and uh, Groomba guard are just, like, dead on the floor. Yeah, next to right. Him. So it's, it's suggesting, right, that you are not seeing reality yeah. throughout that whole portion of the game. Okay, that's unsettling. Yeah. That's great. And does it make a difference, like, which of the two paths you go on first, whether you do the puzzle um, shooter for the, you know, the security system first, or whether you do the, the, the shotgun blasting hallways portion first? Um, I don't think so. Um okay. Like, there might be a little change in the dialogue one way or the other, but, um, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you decide to do J first, then Junior gets mad at you and, again, insults you for choosing the, the easy route um, <laughs> right. rather than, you know, the, the tough one. Um, which really, like, neither of them is easy, but that's, that's the contrast that's being set up here, I think. Like, 
you know, Moogle Kid, it's it's all trigger finger reflexes, you know, bust through the door and shoot the aliens before they, they see what's happening. Like, it's all that close combat stuff. It's not that Jay's section is any more or less difficult. It's just a completely different approach. Um, you know, the, the sniper rifle section works like a puzzle. Um, like, you're, you have to get around behind the aliens that are shooting at you or avoid their, their laser tracking. Um, so it's all about positioning. It's about, you know, careful thinking. And I think that, I think that it's interesting that Mullins sets up that contrast there. Uh, like, it's arguably the same contrast I was writing about in my blog post the other day. Like, the, the sort of stimulating the mind and sort of, like, causing you to think about the, the, these problems and address them carefully and intelligently versus, like, training your reflexes and sort of being in this really intense situation uh, and the difficulty rising from, from that kind of challenge. Um, both are valid, I think, and Mullins is stressing, you know, and just like this whole section, like you, you run through all of these careful corridors with sort of like run and gun, you know, reflex trigger finger shooting, and then it immediately falls apart and you fall into the next section. Like after you yeah. talk to Irving, now now you're in the basement uh, in R&D where all of the Secrets of Legendaria <laughs> sections have been set up. And once again, you have to outsmart it. You have to outpuzzle it. Um, figure out yeah. how to navigate using your compressed and uncompressed forms. Right. And but there is a transition period between the two. There's a brief part where you play as a super weasel kid again, right? Yes. Um, to to lay the bomb. And again, there's a choice. I found three options there. Mm -hmm. And he's like not sure which one he's supposed to do because there's A, double A, A1, A B. You know, it's like yeah. none of them are the was told, but they all have the letter A in them. Um, I went with the furthest away one that I could find. Like, does does that matter, or like, do you get you get forced to redo it if you pick the wrong pillar to blow up, or no, does it just not matter? I, I, I I'm pretty sure it doesn't matter. Like, no matter which pillar you blow up, you end up in the same place doing the same thing. Um, yeah. There might be a dialogue thing. I don't remember. Uh, I picked the first one because for some reason I could not figure out how to jump over the second water section. So that one's on me. Um, <laughs> but, oh, but yeah. And I think it is interesting too that like the first off, this is the first time you've ever played as one of the other NPCs during one of the flashbacks. Like, yeah. and I think it's also striking that, you know, here we are in vicious galaxy, the, most violent of all the sections. Um, and not only are we playing as Weasel Kid, which again, we have that sort of innocence, innocence versus, you know, hardcore, bitter, you know, experienced theme coming up again, um, especially because, you know, Super Weasel Kid is all about that transition. Um, yeah. But also, you know, there is something surprisingly innocent about that section because you can't shoot. Um, the same button that you use to shoot is now back to being jump. Um, what is sort of an essentially nonviolent action in this context? Yeah, and you do see like dead bodies floating by in the water, mm -hmm. um, and you and you sort of remark that that's that's kind of messed up, like um, like you know, like you should, I think. And yet you are still like determined to do your part and like set the bomb and, and blow up the thing. Um, I don't see, I don't know if there's a way 
to proceed without you know doing this messed up action and and again i think you're right like the game is just putting that in your face over and over like you as the player are forcing the issue um it's very similar to the end of bryce's section right like you have to push the button and do the the violent thing to make the game progress to see what happens next right um and it's interesting that these options um they aren't really options, right? They give you the illusion of choice, and yet no matter what you do, you'll have to sort of proceed regardless. Um, so it's, yeah, it's sort of taunting the player, I feel like. And no, I, I like your point about the sort of different gameplay styles or maybe different like approaches to gameplay in a way um, being, being highlighted there. Uh, and then it makes, so it kind of makes me wonder then, if what Danny Mullins is sort of saying is like, you know, do either kind uh, or even this third option, right? This other thing, this like meta game that I provide you with, um, regardless, you're still in this position of being essentially guilty, right? Being responsible. Uh, you, you, there's no escaping that. Whether you're trying to do something mindless, whether you're trying to do something smart, whether you're trying to be, you know, really um, uh, sort of, in your own head about things, what whatever you choose, like you're still ultimately, um, yeah, responsible. There's no there's no way around that. Uh, yeah, and, I think yeah. this this connects to like this game came out a couple years, I want to say, like two or three after Spec Ops: The Line sort of made a very similar comment, um, like questioning the whole you know military shooter genre and you know, the player's complicity in that genre. Like, that, that game also spends a lot of time um, questioning the, the sort of power fantasy of shooting people. Um, and the Hex does as well, but they do it in very different ways. Like, for Spec Ops The Line, the, the sort of alternative is always to stop playing. Um, mm. there, there are little subtle hints throughout the game, like, even, like, as in the earliest mission, there are just stop signs littered around, like stop, go back, like just don't <laughs> proceed. Um, in the hex, on the other hand, I think it is a little bit more difficult to sort of to sort of have that as an option because you do want to keep on with the game, you you do want to want to go forward. But I also think you know part of the trick here is that there is so much more complexity. Um, yeah, like the it's it's very unclear who the heroes and who the villains are, if there are any at all. Um, yeah. And again, that, that distinction between the sort of innocence and, and the sort of experience, these awful experiences, like you're playing as, as victims, but you're playing as your own victims and you are playing to victimize others. Like, it's just this elaborate net of, of sort of revenge and vengeance and, you know, the player themselves are like tricked into this behavior. So now they're roped in without their knowledge or their awareness. Like there are all of these complex and sort of conflicting reasons um, for participating in this fight at this point. Like yeah. e even the characters that we run into, you know, you've got, you've got Lazarus who is, has been stuck in vicious galaxy for all this time and is getting his vengeance this way. You've got the Moogle kid who is, you know, apparently just lusting for violence at this point. Like he in proving that he is 
indifferent to the the tragedy of his childhood he is you know expressing that in violence jeremiah is presumably avenging rust he's the one who you know was so moved and so sort of struck um by the way that rust's whole psyche and person was destroyed in the last section um, um so, you know, these are our heroes, and and you've also got Super Weasel Kid, who is apparently just working with them. Like, his, his beef isn't nearly as, as well articulated here. Um, but on the flip side, how do, you, how do you sympathize with Irving after what he did to Bryce? How do you sympathize with this, like, corporate machinery that alternately, you know, traps these characters in situations they don't want to be in for the sake of this profit motive or whatever is going on. Um, it's unclear what Gameworks' motivation are, as well as, like, how exactly the NPCs all fit into that. But just yeah. the, the exploitation on display, you know, now the player is being exploited by Lazarus and company who were exploited by Gameworks, who, you know, it just keeps going and going and going. Um, mm. it's tough to think that you can hit bottom at this and get at some fundamental wrong that was done. When you put it that way, yeah, I'm starting to think about the critique that, uh, of, of, you know, gaming as a commodity, you know, like a, a thing that yeah gets produced uh, and is like a, a corporation or, or something, you know, and uh, and and that goes along with sort of these genre categories that have structured the game all the way through, right? And and have been sort of played with all the way through, like what gamers' expectations are on on the simple level of what it means to play a game, uh, a strategy game, uh, a Space Marine style Halo type game, or whatever whatever it might be, right? Um, all all of that is sort of up for grabs here. Um, and when you when you do blow it up. Uh, with Super Weasel Kid, whichever pillar you choose. Um, and like you say, you're down there in the R&D room, which is still sort of functional, but sort of messed up. Um, what do you think is going on with those compression, decompression things, which seem to be only used by you as, um, as Lazarus? None of the other characters in there seem to be able to... Oh, wait. No, they do. That's right. They, they do start using them. The, uh, the Cobalt. Start coming after you through the, yeah, yeah. So what is that? Yeah, what's that? What's that saying? Like um, compression is a useful thing, uh, but it carries a kind of I don't know danger with it, or like there's a there's a, a fundamental uh, like disconnect between different levels of technology, like. What are you supposed to make of that? I don't, I don't really get that. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, you, you get that kind of throwaway line from Chandrell when you start Secrets of Legendaria, like the first fight that you get into. She, she says something about how it's so nice to be decompressed. Mm. Um, like, and it's clear that the game has sort of emphasized that there's, you know, these two states. You can be compressed um, and, like, have that little sprite walking around the world, Zelda-style, like, old-school Zelda-style um, but when you get into an actual fight, then now you realize what you actually look like. You know, it, the, the, the character who you see in the, in the battles is the same one who is hanging out in the Six Pine Inn. Um, and you get the sense that, like, even though you're only seeing uh, Lazarus and Vicious Galaxy top-down, 
um, the compression and decompression presumably takes him from like his full character model to this this shrunken one. Um, and as much as you know, it, you kind of want to read into the the compression process itself. I don't think there's a whole lot to go on there. Um, like I think it's an, a fascinating puzzle. Um, but if anything, I suspect that the message that is sort of being communicated by the mechanics is the value of adaptability. Mm. Um, that, you know, here you are, you know, standing upright with your gun at the ready, you can solve some problems, but there are some that you can't. You can't get past certain doors. Um, so it is to your advantage to be able to switch um, from one to the other. Uh, but that's, you know... Again, sort of like not not backed up uh, by the actual text of the game. Rather, it's more just sort of implied. Like you have to master this skill in order to get past this area. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's anything. You know, the the two styles of combat that you undertake. Like when you are decompressed, you can shoot the kobolds as they come at you. When you are compressed. Like, you have to fight slimes and kobolds in the, the sort of RPG style that we saw in Secrets of Legendaria. Um, yeah. So, you know, combat either way, like, I don't think there's there's much to be said uh, of, like, the preferential... Uh, I don't think the game prefers one or the other or sort of, like, indicates that you should, even though, you know, the shooting has been sort of marked as really violent and sort of bad um, through this section. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's interesting. Yeah, that no matter what level of game you're at, technology-wise, they all come back to this mechanic of fighting, essentially, as like the the go-to to engage you in in this in a sort of meaningful struggle, you know, in combat and gaining levels and all this stuff. Um, and I died against the Ankh too. Yeah, the Ankh little boss guy. Um, even though I didn't have to like use reflexes or anything, I just I was careless, you know, like I tried to kill all the onks in one shot and I was wiped out by them. And then I realized, you know, they they, they telegraph which one is the glitchy onk uh, pretty clearly. If you just go through and target them, you'll see like garbled text or numbers that don't make sense for their mana or whatever. Um, so it wasn't actually a hard fight, but like I just wasn't paying very close attention, I guess, at that point. So... And and it like there's a continuity there. Like if you lose the fight once, then he'll say like, "Oh, you're back for more." So it's not like it's not like in other parts of the game where it seems like you just respawn um, and get to sort of do it again for the first time. But but in this case, there's a sense that like you've been defeated and you are coming back to challenge him again. Like the Ankh statue sort of knows um, uh, that this has already happened. So. That was interesting. Um, it's also, like to, it's also yeah. worth mentioning, like, on this particular playthrough, I did not have to fight him. Um, oh, you found a way around that. It's even easier. If you did not bring him the glitched onks in Secrets of Legendaria, he just lets you pass. He's like, you're oh. a cool dude. I'm going to let you go. Um, right. He doesn't even fight you. He just moves out of the way, and you go on your merry way. That makes sense. Yeah, because he's trying to get back at you for killing his... Well, making his Sphinx Lord go and be in a dating simulator game, for one thing. And you're like, oh god, I'm so sorry. And then also because, yeah, you you, you gave him bad, um, bad onks, right? And 
made a fool of him for his one job in the game. Uh, yeah, so I'm sort of hoping that there's like an Easter egg somewhere where you unlock the dating simulator with the Sphinx. Uh, there totally is. Um, I... <laughs> uh, there's, there's actually two. There is one in this section. Uh, when you're when you're bopping around like the the decompressed ocean section, like going from from the dock to dock, um, mm -hmm. if you'll notice that there's like these little green blobs from uh, at certain places, and if you click on them, they disappear. Um, and if you click on, I think there's two of them at first. If you click on both of them, um, then there's a bigger green blob with spikes on it closer to the ship. Um, so if you get on the ship and you click on the spiky thing, the Kraken actually attacks you. Um, <laughs> and by attacks, I mean the Kraken explains that it is going to be on the dating sim and it wants to practice with you. <laughs> um, so kind of like the, the fight with Papyrus um, in, yes. in Undertale, uh, you get this, like, it sets itself up as the typical RPG setting, like, you don't even change your, your attacks, like, you can still just shoot it. Um, but I think it, it's, like, especially pertinent to what we're talking about here, the violence versus nonviolence and puzzle solving, that now your gun tickles it and is considered flirting by the Kraken. <laughs> So, like, you have to just tickle it a little bit with, like, the wide shot first, and then after you've gotten the Kraken interested, then you use the heavy-duty um, single-shot attack, the hip shot, and, like, now the Kraken's really into it. Um, and you have to, like, fill up the Kraken's love meter, and then it's like, yeah, now I'm ready for my for my Fantasy Island dating sim. <laughs> um, and then there is, like you know, further down the road, uh, there, there is a secret that allows you to actually go to Fantasy Island and play the game. Like, I actually had to turn it off uh, when I was start starting my run uh, because it, I had accidentally set it to that and I couldn't remember how to turn it off. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is a thing. So you, you do get the, a chance to see the Sphinx again on Fantasy Island as, long, as well as the Kraken. And I, I find it really interesting that, that all of the NPCs are so excited about it, though. Like, right. we've seen all of these games get progressively more violent as, you know, Lionel's career has progressed, like starting from Super Weasel Kid and his, you know, happy, innocent beginnings through Bryce and his cooking cooking game turned fighting game experience to, you know, the, the violence and chaos of Secrets of Legendaria and the, the despair of, of Waste World now all the way to, like, the horror of Vicious Galaxy. Um, the idea that the next game would be a dating sim, no wonder the NPCs are excited about it. Like, this must be so much better for them um, than all of the things that have gone before. And yet, Dating sims are frequently not seen as proper games in the gaming community. Like, these these are not good enough because they're not hardcore, because they're not violent, because they don't have these mature themes for mature people. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just, on some level, it is childish. It's adolescent. Um, it's immature in the sense that, like, a teenage boy is immature. Um... I think I remember C.S. Lewis had some, some line somewhere about maturity being no longer caring about whether or not you're mature. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And it just it resonates so much like here at this section of the game. There, yeah, there's a lot of um, sort of angst. And it's interesting that romantic angst and relationships and things aren't really one of them so far. Um, except insofar as maybe, you know, Carla, her role could be seen as representing the seeds of that, um, possibly. Uh, that's that's how I keep wanting to, like, read that element in, um, or, like, to sort of make sense of what Carla's up to uh, in different parts of the game. But I guess we'll... I don't know enough about her role yet to, to know for sure um, what her relationship with the Lionel, you know, programmer is. Um, uh, anyway, but there's there's also the uh, sort of nod to um, not just the dating sim, but also like the uh, the the power of this artifact, right? Um, which is within the game and yet seems to be something beyond the game. Like, that that seemed like it should have some kind of obvious referent that it, like, it's making a point about something, either in some other game or um, in general, I guess. I, but I couldn't, like, put my finger on any obvious illusion for that or, like, an analog for it. Um, did you guys have thoughts about that? Like, what is this artifact supposed to make me think of, uh, make me think back to or, or associate with it? Um, I think the, the sort of obvious reference that they're kicking around, um, like, obviously, you know, when you finally find the artifact, you know, Sato gets to it first. Um, and you've yeah. got that whole, like warehouse crate shell game going on as she sort of like opens them up and sees what's inside and shifts to the next one. Um, yeah. And, you know, you get a, you get a real like Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark vibe that like, this is the warehouse where all of the, the secrets of game works have been deposited. <laughs> like, you know, the Ark of the Covenant or, you know, any number of priceless valuables that the government has just sort of locked and secreted away. Um, uh, and, you know, to, to back that up, you do see, like, quite a few video game references. Like, the first one that she opens after she kicks the hex away is pretty obviously the Triforce um, from The Legend of Zelda. Oh, it's, yeah. It's the three silver triangles. Um, and even when, you know, she's, she's like, getting into the boss fight stuff, the, the first part, the first phase of the boss fight is a Pokeball. That, like summons a giant crab monster and now you've got to fight the crab monster so you know like it, it's it's sort of it's not clear what the artifact actually is or does um but it's sort of like by context you can sort of understand it as being this precious thing among many precious things the sort of like one of many video game paraphernalia artifacts um, important things that have significance and power. Um, and the fact that it is compared with something like the Triforce, you know, 
the the game is sort of very deliberately and almost parodying itself i think insofar as like this is the secret MacGuffin, like this is what you've come for this is the thing that you have quested all this way for um and the fact that it it, it doesn't even get a name in this section it is just the artifact um like it, it just sort of drives that home all the more it doesn't matter what the objective is like you don't need to know or care um, and I think, again, that's sort of pointing to, to sort of like the, the violent video game culture that is just go to a place and shoot all the guys and who cares what you're here for, just do it. Like, <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you're in it for the killing. You don't need to worry about the goals or the objectives. It's just an artifact. Trust us. It's important. Go. <laughs> well, there's. it makes me think, yeah, the, the sort of the MacGuffin insert name here but there's also right the um the 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 stash the the cache back in um in waste world um there's uh like the like you mentioned the thing the sort of the thing that grants wishes or maybe like the wish for more wishes sort of thing right this like ultimate power that can generate new possibilities, right? Some something that wasn't there before, um, and it seems to be associated really closely with Sado herself, right? Because it's like at a certain point, Jeremiah is telling you, like, uh, yeah, forget about the artifact, like, go and release this NPC, because um, that's that's the that's the objective now. And so you go through again a kind of puzzle area of um, dodging Dust Bowl Danny again with his security bullets that bounce off mirrors. And it only occurred to me at that point that Danny and Daniel are the same name, like actually. Um, so it's you know another sort of Daniel Mullins inserting himself. But uh, so that was kind of a fun. You're sort of like messing with how you can shoot around walls and you know uh, that that was that was interesting. I. I still died a bunch in that part. <laughs> and I think that's then, another one where it's like the skill versus the puzzle solving is really on display there. Like you, a lot of the times in order to get the thing to move, you've got to like shoot it and then, you know, quickly get to one side or the other, you know, yeah. anticipating and also, you know, reacting. Like it, it's a neat fusion of the two skills and, and ideas there. It's really difficult to just brute force your way through it. But if you really try, you could. Right, right, yeah. It and in that way, it's a kind of a, it. It sort of like builds on your quick reflexes that you practiced ad nauseum in the elevator, um, but with a slightly less like hectic, stressful feel. Like that's what I really disliked about this part of the game. Like not not just the thematics of it, but just like it stressed me out. Uh, the the sort of techno music that would like pound away while you're just like shooting over and over like those games are not for me uh i just yeah but but so you get to this room uh where all the imprisoned npcs are who've been like behaving badly for whatever reason um the the lizard man is in there still cursing at you uh the dragon right still belly aching um there's a couple and the others. Verm. And... The Verm is there. He's, 
He demands that you release him and then apologizes and is really sad about it and just asks you politely. Like, it's got to be yeah. one of my favorite sections, like all three of them screaming at you. Um, and I think the fourth one is the, the dummy. Like, yeah. It's just there. It doesn't have any lines because it's, you know, an inanimate object, and yet they've imprisoned it alongside all the other bosses that we've run into. It's just, like, I still don't understand why. It's just so wonderfully silly. Um, yeah. And, you know, these are some of the best characters. They are all hilarious in their way. Like, the lizard's a little, little unnecessarily aggressive. Um, but like the dragon is still whining about his situation. Like, let me out. I'm not supposed to be in here. And the firm is, you know, trying to convince you to bow down to it, even though it's obviously in a jail cell. Like, it's just silly and it's fun to walk through there. And it's kind of a bummer that, you know, you have to like go through to complete your objective. Like this would be a great place to just hang out for a while and let them all scream at you. Yes. I, yeah, I, I was I was amused. I was like really glad to discover this. Um, it again sort of makes me wonder, like what else is in the game works? You know, like what else am I missing? And obviously, the dating sim is is a big one. But um, and you come to the the final room, the dead end, and it's this. Uh, somehow, Sado has been neutralized there, right? It, and again, I. I wanted very badly to find some way around actually releasing her from the uh, you know force field that she's in with the four locks on her, but you know I wanted to see what happened next. So eventually I just went ahead and un unlocked her, and uh, yeah, sure enough, you have this kind of like boss rush down there. There's the, the crab. There's the um, it's like a Fortnite kind of free for all. Yeah. They, they call it Battle Royale. Battle Royale. Yeah, it, it's a little more PUBG than, than Fortnite, which at that point, like Fortnite hadn't quite gotten as big as it as it is now. But yeah, uh, like all the rules are there. The the blue wall that like brings you together with the other players, the you know, random guns lying around, even down to the fact that you start with a frying pan. Um, like I think the I think there's something comparable uh, in both Fortnite and PUBG. Like a starting weapon is really useless, almost hilariously useless. Um, and this is the one time that they do break the fourth wall. Like they they'll rope your your Steam friends into the, the uh, character slots. So so while I was playing it, you shot uh, some of my other friends. Like you killed quite a few people. Um, nice. Good for you. <laughs> I I think it's because I have so few Steam friends that that one slipped by me. I also was like running from the blue wall the entire time, pretty much. Because again, these are not games that I play, so I like didn't realize that that was a thing until it was almost upon me. And then pretty much, yeah, the rest of the time was just dodging obstacles and trying to stay on the blue wall. Uh, I might have killed like one person, maybe. I think everyone died from that, except maybe the very last dude. Um, but it's again like extremely stressful. Like that's not the the feeling that I go to video games to to experience. Um, but on the flip side, uh, I guess it's like very satisfying to be the last man standing after you've you know been chasing around ninety nine of your friends or, or whatever for a while. I, I've seen 
um, those an errant signal video on Fortnite fairly recently because again that's another one that has just never appealed to me. Um, yeah. Like I've I've been fascinated by the phenomenon because you know I, I remember uh, my cousins from Ohio had come to visit at one point um, and like you know they were really excited to hang out with Uncle Ben and his really cool you know doodads and video games and stuff. Um, and the younger of the two, uh, like he's grown now, I think he's in college. Um, oh my gosh, I'm dating myself, but he was <laughs> thrilled because he was, he really wanted to play Minecraft. Um, <laughs> but not just, you know, creative, like building stuff, but no, he wanted to get on Minecraft so he could play like the early versions of Battle Royale before PUBG or Fortnite was even a thing. Um, cause yeah. that's where the game started. Like there, there was, there was somebody who basically did, um, who basically did the hunger games, uh, on Minecraft. Right. Um, you know, like they drop the, the crate in the middle and you run and you get all the stuff and then you scatter and, you know, you see how you do against your friends. And I was just so struck by, by how meaningful that game was to him. Um, yeah. cause you know, like sheer numbers, you, if you have 100 people in a game, 99 of them are going to lose. Um, and I think there is obviously like a fairly huge, you know, a fairly huge desire to just sort of show up your friends and like, you know, snipe them from across the, the room or, you know, prove your, your competence in this way. Um, but some of the draw is just mysterious to me. Like Fortnite, I understand a little bit more thanks to that Aaron Signal video where he's like, the, the great thing about Fortnite is it's a, it's a, party all the time like the the actual shooting part of the game is not as important as the hanging out part like it's designed that losing is just as fun um but yeah like it, it's it's baffling but you know you, you look at like the the media that inspired it your hunger games or or your you know old school japanese novel or, or movie battle royale like i think there's a lot of teen angst that comes out in that uh, I think that's part of the reason why it's so attractive um, in that case. Like, although, again, you know, here I am. I feel like I'm waving my stick at the, the whippersnappers and their, their new fancy games. Um, so, like, you're the bartender. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, Steve pops in the uh, text chat here that artifact is a broad term when it comes to software development. Lots of pieces of software have artifacts that are necessary for them to run. Some artifacts explain how a piece of software is supposed to work, while others actually allow the program to run. So it's like a, a technical term in software development? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I just Googled this and pulled this up because, like, cache and uh, artifact, you know, they're using software development uh words for the for the things that we're searching for so you know i don't know you know i the, the artifact yeah. is like the artifact um <laughs> technical name but what did you guys think of like when uh in you're playing the compression zone area and you come across like the kobolds that are having like a religious experience oh yeah what are them well you i mean you don't but the turret does and you like run around um, I don't know. It was weird because around the turret there were six stones in the shape of a hex. Uh, 
and again, you had these NPCs who were having like this religious experience. Um, yeah, I, I sort of didn't linger on that part of the game, although I feel like as you're approaching them, you can't see what they're looking at, right? And so it's like this big reveal when it's the turret. Um, but but it's also like they're within a hex. You're saying like the the, the stones around them form the um, around the turret. There's like six stones that form. Oh, around the turret. Uh, yeah, yeah bright so, yellow stones like they're made of gold or something. It, it almost looks like offerings. Um, like you know, if you brought your votive candles or or you know like your your food offerings before an idol. That's interesting, and. And of course, it it mows them down, like the very thing that they're idolizing. Um, and they don't like resist at all. Like as you're shooting them, they just take it. They sit there. Uh, they yeah, that me out. They don't run away. They don't fight back. There's no panic. They just just they just die. Like, yeah. and you can kill them accidentally. Like you you can try not to kill them all and succeed. In which case, they'll attack you when you come around the corner. But um, but yeah, they'll, they'll literally just like willfully die as the turret kills them, um, which, you know, is in, in another context, it might be a scathing indictment of religion across the board. I'm not sure if that's what Mullins has in mind for this one, but it is fairly resonant with a lot of the other themes that we've been talking about in this section. Yeah. And, well, you know, I, I think the other part is that the symbol is the hex. So... I mean, I, I guess, is that just something that all NPCs, there's just like some kind of religious value to that? I mean, it's it's just kind of weird that these kobolds would be worshipping the like exact thing that you're kind of looking for as well. Um, right. You know, how did how did they come to, to worship or a hex? Right. Because we've seen it at least a few places in the game at this point, right? Um, Rust is still upstairs in the room with Jeremiah, and that, that is the hex up there, right? That's the, the artifact. Uh, yeah. And um, so Jeremiah seems to know about it. Uh, he seems to be sort of orchestrating the heist or whatever, you know, gone awry. Um, and by extension, I think the barkeep, right, is like sort of orchestrating a lot of things going on in the Six Pine Inn. Yeah, um, he, he deliberately warns you when Irving shows up, and then he's even got, like, that line of when you're hanging out in the kitchen that, you know, now would be a good time to come in guns blazing, you know, if there were a space marine in the kitchen, now would be the time. So it's obviously <laughs> that he's, like, working with you as well and clearly has some role in plotting all this. Yeah. Yeah, and... Again, it's like, why? Why would NPCs know about it? Like, they they do seem to um, be aware that they are being manipulated. Um, they seem to enjoy participating for the most part. Although there are a few sort of sullen NPCs and like enemies, um, you know, a few slimes who like don't want to participate or. A dragon who doesn't seem to know how to be a dragon. Um, yeah, did you run but, into the slime who was like, when you talk to him, he doesn't want to fight you. He's just on his vacation. <laughs> um, 
And you know, yeah. the, the same one is in Secrets of Legendaria. Like when you're walking down one of the the area into the lava zone, like there's a slime there, and if you talk to him, because you know he's standing right there, and at this point every slime has attacked you. Um, and if you get close to him and talk to him, he, he's like, "What did you think I was going to attack you, dude? Don't judge people. Like it becomes a prejudice <laughs> thing. Like hashtag not all slimes." Um, but it seems like, I mean, what what I would say about the yeah the the sense of like breaking out of your role like that's what you are doing throughout the game too right um, most with Chandro like most most um, consciously maybe like she's trying to break out of that game um, but definitely with Lazarus also um, in a way with all of them right and and I guess you know in some sense that's a definition for religion and and not in like a a negative way but like religion seeks to break out of the apparent reality and, and find like some you know higher or more complete sort of promise or fulfillment or, or both right um so like for video game characters religion is making contact with a developer or a player or you know breaking out of their assigned role in in whatever way maybe you know decompressing and, and moving to a higher level of technological advancement but steve you even brought up um reboot right like it feels very much like the reboot cartoon tv show thing um this this whole dynamic yeah where you just kind of have these sentient um non-playable characters who have <laughs> you know a full range of emotions they have hopes and dreams um and desires and uh yeah, I mean, I, you can obviously see it. And also in that show, you know, the same NPCs show up in a bunch of different games. Yeah. Uh, and and they're, they're fighting against the human player. Um, yeah. We're here, you know, we're, we're, we're on their side, but only some, of the, you know, I guess there's kind of a civil war going on and we're on one of the sides. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, the whole like sentient computer, you know, it's, and that goes so counter to what we think of when we think of like a computer and how it operates. It has the same things that we do, we have, like that we want, and like the same characteristics. Well, especially because you know, again, like thinking of Vicious Galaxy, in order in order to enjoy a game where you're like mowing down the bad guys, you have to sort of presume that they are not human, that they are not valuable, that they are not sentient. Um, like, if, if every NPC that you gun down in some war game is, you know, as characterized and as living as all the characters that you run into the, in the hacks, then what you're doing is genocide. Like, you are literally destroying all of these people with their own lives, their own aspirations, their own hopes and dreams. Um, you know, that's that's what makes this this area in the hex so striking, um, is it does characterize it. It does personalize these people. It makes the atrocity driven home. Um, so, you know, you like in order you know, it's kind of like an undertale again coming back to that because all of the enemies are people. They want to be loved. They want to be hugged. They want to be snuggled with. They, they want to, you know, have a relationship. Um, and yeah, you can mow through them. That's entirely your, your option. But, 
you know, the game doesn't want you to do that. It pleads with you not to do that. Um, it questions what makes a person a person in this case. Are you so quick to judge? And I think that game and this game too work mainly because they are pushing against all these other games that that were sort of conditioned to just go along with that, right? So they they operate within a context um, and force us to question that context. And and I think a big part of that is the kind of co-op mode or the or the versus mode, you know, thing going on where. Um, you're you're fighting other people, and you're aware that there are other people, and that makes it that much more like you know for your little cousins or whatever that much more exciting, that much more gratifying, and and meaningful. Um, and it's not like a sadistic thing um, because everyone's just there to you know have fun and well, ostensibly, right? Um, but I think I think also like in that in that case, you also don't really have much of a story, and so. With that, you don't have a, that kind of religious, you know, overtone. Um, that that religious feeling is is simply not there. Uh, it's it's secular, <laughs> and that's kind of an interesting dynamic uh, in its own right. So, sort of a yeah. sort of a community versus civil society thing, where like you know, mm. your community or the people you hang out with in the single player game that you're all working, you know, with this one idea in mind, working towards some transcendent experience. Whereas when you transition to multiplayer, like everybody's in it for the kill. There's no holds barred. You do what you want and, you know, see, see if you can get away with as much as you can. Um, it, it is an interesting contrast there. And I, I think again, like in the context of vicious galaxy, which is very likely, framed as a multiplayer shooter you know the player themselves sees sort of like this this weird dynamic the the us versus them like these are my teammates and we are fighting all these other people and that's okay that's the way this game is designed everybody's on board with this and if i ruin somebody else's day well all the better for me <laughs> yeah yeah and also so then we have sado i i think there's there's something again very confusing to me about the chronology of this because we've seen Sado popping up in other games. Is that why Sado is imprisoned here? Because because she was messing with those other games earlier on, or is this like the origin of Sado, like this dangerous being that was created but was too powerful to to allow to actually be in a game and was just like under lock and key. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I don't have much clarity on that at this point. Um, yeah, maybe the, it was the best guess there. that I've got, because, I mean, again, look at the context. Like, here are all these, these bosses and characters that we've run into in other games, like the dragon from Secrets of Legendaria, the Verm from Waste World, the, the lizard guy from the fighting game. Um, yeah. All three of these characters we have seen in prior games. They, they've been potential threats, and also, kind of notably, each of the three characters didn't exactly fit. Like, they, they weren't, you know, contributing to the, the illusion. Um, they yeah. were sort of breaking that illusion. Like, the, you know, you've got your angry lizard guy who just swears at you the whole time, and it's like, well, why are you doing this? This, this is not what I wanted for my fighting game. You were not, like, 
it's not like the guy who, you know, he was trained by his grandfather and has this elaborate backstory that you sort of touch on. Um, likewise, the dragon is just really grumpy and not acting like a dragon at all. The verm is really self-conscious, not like a boss should be. Um, so they're all kind of locked up in here. So the suggestion, at least to me, certainly seems that we are, you know, moving chronologically through these these different games, and we have reached like this is the latest stage of the cycle. Um, yeah. And Sato, in all likelihood, has been imprisoned since Waste World. That she's been sort of caught by the authorities at GameWorks and sort of put into this bubble where she can't cause any more trouble. Um, just because, you know, of how devastating uh, her her effect was um, in Waste World, probably due to Cardla's influence, honestly. Like, the, the suggestion, if I'm not mistaken, is that she's the one who devised the Boss Rush mod um, and brought Sato to a game where, once again, Sato never belonged. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of Sato's M.O. the whole time. Um like, yeah. unlike so many of the other games where, you know, you think, you know, this character or originated in this game or has a very strong connection to this game, Sato, Sato has no home. Sato turns whatever game she's in into her own game. Like, she, <laughs> the mechanics are hers to play with. Um, even, even sort of the format will change when Sato gets involved. Why are those characters in jail? I mean, they're just yeah. kind of doing their job, right? Like they're, they're no not doing well. There's no to be in cells. I mean, like no other characters were in cells. Yeah, yeah, and I. So as Sado breaks out, are you supposed to like run back through that that jail cell area? Um, I got I got I got caught by her spider form thing immediately. Um. And so then I was like, I wound up in the basement. But but I got the feeling that like there was some gameplay possible at that point if I had been better or like more aware of what was going on. Did yeah. you guys? If you if you run up through the prison um, yeah. first, that's like you get some interesting dialogue because at that point all the bosses that you just ran into they freak out. Um, yeah, like they they start <laughs> panicking. They're like, No, she's gonna kill us. Um, which, they know about it. yeah, Interesting. Uh -huh. um, like they're aware of her destructive capacity. So you know, the dragon, the verm, they're like, no, please get us out of here. She'll she'll take us out too. Um, and then you have to like, in theory, you should keep running north. Um, and yeah. if you do, you get just a little ways into that whole room with all the the Danny like Danny turrets. Um, yeah, and then the power switches back on and they're all active. Um, so I accidentally ran into one of the lasers not knowing that the power had switched back on. Like, I, I wasn't able to change stream. But importantly, you know, the only way that you could progress through that whole area was with that, like, quick stop and pop, like, you know, slow, methodical approach. And now that's not an option anymore. Like, now you've got to run, and you, either the turrets get you or Sado does. At the end of the day, you end up in the basement one way or the other. Yeah, and so so those boss characters, like they don't appear down there with you, but presumably they're also getting like consumed by Sato's like spider form or whatever, right? Um, 
I don't I don't expect to see them again later in the game. <laughs> yeah, after considering this. what she did to Rust, like whatever she did to those boss characters is is not gonna be not gonna be nice, whatever it turns out to be. Um, death might be preferable to what Sato has been known to do in the past. <laughs> so yeah, like so we can't blame her for their behavior. Right up to that point, they're afraid of her. They they aren't like being controlled by her. They aren't outlets for her or something like that. It's not that simple. Um, and yeah, Steve, I don't have like a good answer for your question. Like especially the poor uh, robot dummy guy. Like what he's doing. I I don't know. just just for fun, I guess. But but they do seem to like Ben said. Like they do seem to be cases where. Um, the programmer who put them in the game didn't integrate them well. And for whatever reason, they're being blamed for that. They're being held accountable, like for their own not really fitting into the games, uh, not not um, going with the kind of illusion um, that they were meant to. Um, yeah, the other, the only other explanation I can come up with is that, you know, the, the consistent theme, at least with the, the dragon and the verm especially, is that they're, they're big. Like they're big and they're kind of and they're especially powerful and they're difficult to contain. Like, like mm -hmm. when Chandrel rebels against GameWorks and the developer and trashes Secrets of Legendaria, you know she is punished by having Valamir stuck in her head and Lazarus <laughs> is punished by you know having to go to this awful vicious galaxy game. Presumably because you know what are they going to do? They're they're just weak NPCs that there's only so much power they wield. Um, but by comparison, you know, on the one hand, both the Verm and the Dragon are unique to their games. Like, they, it's hard to place them anywhere else. Like, the Verm doesn't fit in a game that isn't a post-apocalyptic game. The Dragon doesn't fit in a non-fantasy title. Um, but also that they're just big. Like, they're big and they're powerful and they're, they're bosses. Um, you can't just, you know, send them to, like, some other game. They can't show up in a fighting game. It would just destroy the balance. You can't repurpose them. Um, well, there's always the dating simulator, right? Which is where the Kraken <laughs> ends up, and apparently the Sphinx, the too. Thing, right? so. yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, like, I was about to say, but I think you answered this, like, if anyone belongs in jail, it's your characters, right? I mean... But as you say, they're they're interchangeable in in a, in a way. They can be plugged into some other game uh, as as a punishment or uh, just to get them out of the way or, or whatever it is. Um, and and this brings us back to the murder, right? We see the murder happen. We we commit the murder essentially as Lazarus. Um, and again, it's this fourth wall breaking moment where the bartender turns to the player and says, "There you go, like." A clue, right? It's like uh, Lazarus did it with the gun in the bar, killed um, Irving, and and then he asks you if you're if you're satisfied. So I feel like obviously the right answer is no. I'm not satisfied. Like I still want to see what happens with that other guy at the bar and with you, frankly. Like what what is all all this about? Um, but you do get the option, and I feel like this one might be a real option. Um, but do you know what happens if you say, "Yeah, that's fine. I'm satisfied." Yeah, if you if you click yes, the game ends. Like it quits. 
and you're done. That's awesome. um, and then you can reload it, and you will reload it exactly that moment as he's asking you the same question. Like, you see the murder happen again, and he asks you the same question again, and you can answer yes or no. Like, I did it the second time I played through the game, just to see. Um, and it's yeah. like, oh, good, then I'm glad you're happy with that. Game over. Like, roll credits. <laughs> Wait, you guys can say no? I mean, I was pretty satisfied. I thought this was the the last episode that we were going to be doing the last. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess our work here is done. Um, so we, we, so we figured out the answer. <laughs> the artifact. The end. Got it. Okay. Well, so then, yeah, you you kill that jerk, Irving. Um, but again, you feel probably pretty bad about it. Rust is not there at all, right? And he was everyone's. Um, smart money on who's actually going to commit the murder. He's not even in the room, so not him. Um, although, again, uh, the the time travel, the mind control, the the hologram, like all of this throws a lot of, you know, extra complexity potentially into what we're seeing at any given time. But anyway, um, at that point, it switches you over to the, to the walking sim slash first-person shooter guy. Uh, or gal, or whatever, who's who's been sitting in the center of the bar the entire time, um, and it's it's very abrupt. Uh, like it's the bartender actively, like again, telling you the player, like, okay, fine, you can see what they're up to over there, um, and then you you take control of them. Um, that's where I left off. Uh, I I have no idea what's going to happen, but I expect that it involves the setting of the inn itself. Like, that's kind of what I'm, again, still expecting to have to explore more and, and figure out some of what's going on with, like, the uh, remaining soda pop uh, dispenser upstairs, or, wait, downstairs, or wherever, wherever the third one is, yeah. Um, yeah, so stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, anyway... Uh, a lot of a lot of stuff in Lazarus's part. Um, again, I feel like I didn't understand, but I, I think I get a little more out of it now that we've we've talked about it here. Um, are there some other big things that we should be sure to mention here? I think there's there's a couple. Uh, one that we just sort of overlooked in the conversation. One that was in fact a pretty well hidden secret. Um, All right. So the, the first thing we definitely need to talk about is walking past, like, once you've gotten the artifacts, sneaking past Irving in his conversation with oh, the powers. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Um, right. Like, sort of drawing back to the, what Steve was pointing out with the religion um, of the Cobol and how we sort of connected that to the hacks and, you know, you pointed out the, the connection between, like, the, the developers or the players and the, the NPCs. You know, now you have Irving talking to some shadowy figure um, on his triangular screen of some kind, and you, you can't make out what, what they're saying. Like, it's all inaudible, inaudible. Um, besides, you know, they do mention the artifact, and, and I think there, there's another key word in there. I don't remember what. Um, but, yeah, like, you, you get a very Darth Vader talking to Emperor Palpatine sort of vibe <laughs> off of that. Like, you know, Ir Irving is just just a pawn in this greater plot, whatever it may turn out to be. Um, yeah. So yes. now that, that figure is 
definitely Daniel Mullins, right? Like that's what the dude actually looks like. Uh, Pretty sure. Like, like, like yeah, like it, yeah. Uh, it's definitely some kind of FMV something or other. Like that is an actual human being, actually yeah. recorded. Um, though, though whether or not it's Mullins, I, I, I think I, I, I'm not entirely sure. Like I think they say in the credits at one point, but that's oh, okay. that's for down the road. After. Yeah, okay. it, it could be. Um, Interesting. But the other the other thing, like the the secret secret. Um, you'll remember back in Secrets of Legendaria, I mentioned that if you spend a lot of time fishing, you, you fish up half a locket, um, and then you give it to Lazarus for some strange reason. Um, well, here in Lazarus's chapter, on those docks, one of, the, one of those docks has a bucket on it, which is your indication that you can go fishing there, um, and you can fish up the other half of the locket. Uh, yes, and then lo and behold, the two halves of the locket fit together very conveniently, but they have some kind of strange script on them that Lazarus can't read. Um, so he says, who could I find that could potentially read this? Um, Mr. Squirrel! Mr. Squirrel! <laughs> not Mr. Squirrel, not this time. Um, despite, he's the glass? I know, despite oh. his magic glasses, he is not the solution. Okay, who um, is it? It is the wizard guy. Ah, Wizaro. Yeah, Wizaro, the mystery character who we all saved in, in West Waste World. Um, if you wander around some of the not quite walls um, in the the lava area, will give way, and you can see Wizaro chilling out in some part of the facility, roasting what appears to be some kind of boar head or something, and just hanging. Um, and if you talk to him with the fancy completed lot locket, he tells you that he can't read it and that he needs some kind of <laughs> cipher um, of some sort in order to be able to read it. Um, so a bit of an anticlimax there, but we'll we'll come back around to that. Um, but just sort of worth mentioning that that's also buried in this particular section. Oh my gosh, that's tantalizing. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, any so that reminded me. I guess there is a nice callback to um, Mario also in the fight against Sado, where the final you know MacGuffin item thing is a is a shriveled up mushroom that makes her huge, right? And then she is. Again, sort of in this like spider form, but she's got hands that are trying to tickle you. And uh, yeah, um, there's, I think, probably some other references in that portion too that that I was missing and in, in the different boxes that go past. Um, I, I picked up on the Pokeball, and the Triforce, and the and the Mario Mushroom, but I don't I don't know what a lot of the other stuff was that was getting. Um, being pushed by. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely say one of them was a helmet, but I, I could be wrong about that. Like a, a uh, like maybe Master Chief's helmet or something. But again, not entirely sure. I'd have to go back through it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to know that Wizaro is uh, is just just hanging out over in the lava area. Uh, I yeah. I, I I'll have to. Be more patient with my onk scavenging next time around, so I don't have to fight 
the uh, statue dude. Um, and yeah, do more fishing. Because it's a delightful uh, pastime in any game. Uh, all right. Thanks well, again, I, guys. I have one more thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, I guess, like, how, uh, you know, at the beginning of the game, you get the call, and the bartender yeah. says, like, someone's going to be a murderer or whatever. And that's what the whole game is, obviously. Like, how, how did they have this, like, all planned out? Like, obviously, this was the goal at the, or, or I guess my question is, like, do you think that they had that that they knew exactly how this was going to play out? Right. Um, you know, obviously they're pulling the strings or or having you pull the strings for them, but the fact that they can predict exactly what's going to happen, um, you know, that they knew that Irving was going to come there and knock on the door. Right. Um, it's kind of. I mean, I guess it's just kind of weird to think about. I think part of it might actually be the time frame. Um, like I know that, as Wes pointed out, it's it's a little ambiguous how the time frame works out. Um, but I think this section, the the whole vicious galaxy flashback, might be really close in time to the events that we have watched transpire in the Six Pint Inn. Um, if only because you know, like several of the characters even remark when they see Lazarus that Lazarus has the alien blood. On his on his armor, um, and while that could just be you know it's it's been there forever, it, it just sort of like you can't get it out anymore after you know only so many washes for Space Marine armor, um, but you kind of get the sense, especially because the the escape pod is crashed into the basement. Um, oh yeah, it's entirely plausible that both Lazarus and Jeremiah literally just got here from their their mission um that that uh, irving is literally following them from their activities you know taking over game works to track them down to the end um so you know like that's that's the best solution it, it's obviously not like you know th there's no text in game to suggest that that's exactly what's happening um especially because there is another level to sort of muck about with the the time frame um but it seems pretty likely that the attack on gameworks is is a very recent development um and that lazarus is like even though you you can see his wanted poster in, in the kitchen um it could be that that was that was from earlier and irving has finally tracked lazarus down um and if that's the case then the plan did not have to be that sophisticated the, the bigger component of the plan was was the heist in the first place um, and we see hints that that's that's been in the works for a little while like Lazarus came to the six pine inn with super weasel kid quite a while ago um, based on your your sort of like hallucination while under Sato's control um, so that happened and apparently like Jeremiah and the bartender were cooperating with you um, and the murder of Irving just seems like the natural sort of conclusion at this point. Lazarus is, you know, an outlaw hiding from the law, so naturally they're going to come looking for him. And when they do, Lazarus isn't going to come quietly. Right. Yeah, I. It does seem a bit Rube Goldberg machine-ish. You know, the the kind of psychological 
stuff going on with all, all the other characters though, right? Like the bartender does send each of them on their sort of little little fetch quests which will which leads to their their flashbacks. Um and so whether whether he's primarily manipulating the characters or is primarily messing with you, the player, is kind of what I'm wondering at this point. Um, if he needs the player to see all that stuff in sequence to then be prepared to pull the trigger um, and then to do whatever it is that we're about to do with, with the hex, you know, the artifact itself. Um, shot. Do, do we have to click on him, I forget? I thought, yeah, it's so, it forces the issue. Like, let, you'll sit like, there in, you know, in bullet time forever um, until you, you actually click uh, Lazarus's gun on Irving. But it's it's just what Sato did to us back at the end of Wasteworld, right? It's like um, that same, and that same unsettling sense that you are somehow both of these people. Like, you are shooting the other person, but maybe it's the other way around, or you know, both at the same time, or some something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's a really and, good connection. Like when when she tells Rust, all you have to do is pull the trigger. You know, it, that is what destroys himself. Like that's what yeah. kills his kills Rocky. That's what kills him. And now you know we have just pulled the trigger as orchestrated by you know Jeremiah and the bartender and every one of the six pine in. And this is just one last step in the sort of self-destruction, um, warranted though the, the vengeance may be, yeah. it's still, you know, Lazarus can't go back after this. And Irving even stresses that, like, think about what you're doing. If, if you fight me, there will be way worse consequences for you. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, again, like the, the, the shadowy powers behind the throne, seem to to <laughs> persist even after Irving is removed from the equation. Dude, yeah. And and of course Sado is still out there somewhere. Um, that's our fault, no less. Yeah, like that was yeah, not yeah. part of Irving's plan. That was us just to cause chaos and hurt ourselves yeah. as much as them. Uh and Valamir, you know, Valamir's sort of down there in the basement too and Potentially going to get busted out at some point. Um, don't want to don't want to sleep on old mirror. Uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to me that each time that we meet like a a more powerful thing, there's a yet more powerful thing sort of behind them. Um, but there can't be an infinite regress, right? Like there's got to be a a most powerful thing at some point. Uh, if the game the writers is of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> you're right you're right uh yeah uh the 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 dragon ball gt arc uh is indefinitely bending towards the most powerful thing i guess um, oh no we, we moved on we're on to dragon ball super there's dragon ball super <laughs> it got, it's getting pretty crazy i'm gonna have to watch it on youtube i guess or um or yeah, see see what what I've been missing. Um, yeah, okay. This time I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a night here. Uh, and for next time, what are we doing? We're just playing 
next playable character will be obvious when we get to the end of the next chapter. Yeah, this one we're going to play through to what is effectively the end of the game. Um, like, okay. you'll stop when the credits roll, pretty much. Um, so okay. that's that's primarily our question mark-faced walking simulator first-person character um, <laughs> is level, basically. Um, but, you know, that, that'll take us through some more six-pint in action, and we will see, you know, what what the official end of the game is before we get into the secrets and sort of wrap up for, for the last of our sessions on this. Right on. Okay. So, uh, take care of yourselves out there. Uh, don't work too hard. The uh, in uh, the final chapter here awakes us. All right. Thanks again, guys. Have a good week. You too. Error? No! Craigbot, no! Error cannot stop.